Today, we have not one, but two special guests. Soren is a cloud solution architect at Microsoft and has been involved in the IT industry in one way or another since he was 10. From building games for fun to becoming a developer, a team leader, a consultant, a solution architect, he has done it all. He loves the latest and greatest technologies, including artificial intelligence, virtual reality, cloud computing, and the Internet of Things. And today we get to pick his brain on each. Dan is the Chief Product Officer of Druid AI. He has had a long and distinguished career in technology with specialities in Microsoft Dynamics CRM, business intelligence, document management, and of course, uh, fusing conversational AI with generative AI as part of Druid's product roadmap. What Dan does not know about technology is not worth knowing. And today I get to interview both Soren and Dan and artificial intelligence and how it's impacting business, society, and people's lives. Welcome, Soren and Dan. It is such a pleasure to have you both on Druid's podcasts. How are you today? Amazing, Kieran. Thank you very much. It's uh, always a pleasure uh, being in this podcast and looking forward for the discussion. Fantastic. Well, Dan, I'm going to kick off with you. Uh, a question's popped into my head uh, when I was working on this new podcast episode. Uh, with everything that's been going on in our last talk, uh, will generative AI actually replace conversational AI? Definitely not. Definitely not. So um, generative AI, it's a new source of energy that uh, all us humans, we, we received. It's a gift for all of us. And you know, when a new source of energy comes, uh, it's not replacing the existing machines. It's just making them better. So um, uh, totally is not a replacement, but it's an empower. So um, new use cases, new, uh, new speed, better speed, um, uh, it's in front of us. It's exciting times. It really is. <clears throat> Soren, hello, sir. A pleasure to meet you, by the way. And uh, we were discovering that you've been in technology since you were 10. I'm assuming you're not 10 anymore. So uh, it's good to see. We're going to pick your brain. Your first question. Uh, you've seen, obviously, a lot of things coming and going over the last numbers of years since you've been in tech. How do you see, how do you see today's AI and the derivatives that have come off the back of that technology how is it compared to the year 2000.com era? Yeah, hi, Kieran. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely not 10 anymore. Uh, but uh, uh, but I think it's, I mean, it, it, it's been a, fast, a fun past couple of decades, wasn't it, since the 2000s? Um, so, I mean, I see a lot of people uh, going to that uh, comparison, you know, the hype and all the kind of go the, uh, the uh, unreasonable promises, maybe, uh, that are being made in relationship to generative AI in some ways mirror the, uh, the expectations of the dot-com era, right? And uh, while there may be some similarities to that, uh, to that era, I think there's also some very important differences. Uh, first of all, this is not the this is not AI's first time in the spotlight, and AI has this tendency of going through like boom and bust cycles, and it has been here before. It has been in the spotlight before uh, with different generations, and in fact, during the 2000s.com boom, um, AI was actually uh, in the midst of what we call AI winters, 
whereas there was comparatively little interest in AI, uh, there were comparatively little investment being made in AI during the late 90s and early 2000s. And indeed, it didn't even start to pick up again since um, until maybe 2012 or so with the new computer vision models uh, making use of the new, you know, deep learning uh, uh, frameworks that were, were being developed. So in some sense, AI has been here before, right? It's, it's come and, and gone, uh, and now it's back. Uh, for one thing, uh, I think this is more of a... A kind of a long term, uh, a longer, say, a longer uh, summer, if you want to call it like that. It's already about 10 years since um, uh, AlexNet and the kind of computer vision models uh, around that uh, uh, started to spur interest and investment into AI again. So it's already like twice as long since uh, as the dot com bubble went. Uh, it's also, um, um, we're also in a very different e economic environment. As the 2000s, uh, we're already in a in an era where the uh, interest rates are quite high, and investors are actually uh, quite careful currently as to what kind of startups and what kind of ideas they invest in. So even in this, uh, even the fact that we're in this scenario and there's still a huge amount of interest in generative AI and generative AI scenarios, that tells me that we're uh, we're uh, quite in a different place than we were in the in the dot during the dot com years. They were interesting times, Soren. I remember them well. And I think uh, some people listening in will will not. Uh, obviously, a younger part of the audience as well. It is it, For me, it's personally excellent to see that uh, companies are really looking at investment opportunities because for too long, they just threw money at things, hoping it would work. But I think a lot will be surprised that AI has gone through various winters because now it feels like the biggest technology in the world. So let's see how it turns out. But let me ask a question to both of you. Uh, Microsoft is one of the biggest players in the technology industry, and it's made a big bet on generative AI. It complements conversational AI. It brings new opportunities to businesses. But how do you see it impacting companies over the near term and the long term as well? And Dan, if I begin with you, if you don't mind, and then Soren, if you wouldn't mind answering that same question afterwards. Yeah, I mean, we are discussing right now about an amazing technology, generative AI, uh, which is very powerful and can be used in, in my opinion, in almost any process and any use case can contribute. So, uh, and I'm practicing this for uh, a couple of months already. And I'm telling you, I am discovering new use cases where I can apply each week. Uh, the discussions I have with enterprises, our customers, our partners are amazing. There is no discussion, can I use it or not? All the discussions starts from, I want to use it, I have to use it. Help me to use it with risk management, with enterprise governance. Uh, and... In the projects we have, actually, the respective processes that start to onboard generative AI are transformed. Agents in the contact center, they solve the tasks faster. Uh, people in the HR complete documents faster, in the procurement, in the legal, update document faster. So companies are 
transforming their processes and are making their processes more effective using generative AI. So it's a must thing to do. Sorensen, your yeah, thoughts? I agree. I agree with that. I think uh, he's there on. It's uh, it's just the fact that generative AI makes conversational AI a lot more approachable. So it's more of like a boost to conversational AI. It just unlocks a lot more scenarios. Uh, just because it's it's able to, uh, it's actually a lot better than previous ways to understand what the end user wants, what their intent is. The previous ways to understand exactly what the user needed to do uh, were quite brittle. Uh, so a lot of times, conversational AI and uh, the people who are Im implementing conversational AI would try uh, were uh, tended to avoid them whenever possible, and they were steering the solutions towards a more guided approach, where you know the, the agent, the conversational agent, will ask you would ask you a bunch of questions to understand what you want to do, and you would have like very limited options. Whereas now, with something like generative AI, uh, that is a lot more capable of understanding what you need without having to go through uh, huge amounts of training, which is also very important because it lowers the barrier to entry. The, these scenarios are now possible, and not, not only they are possible, but they're actually feasible to be uh, implemented in a way that is uh, uh, still um, uh, reliable and safe and secure, um, which was actually not the case previously. Well, with that in mind, again, question to both of you, because both of you have mentioned security. There, there are challenges for CIOs and chief product officers when implementing generative AI in an enterprise. You know, there's some risk challenges, there's potential data bias challenges. You know, data privacy has come up with, as a concern. And also there are issues finding business ca uh, use cases as well. What are the challenges that you're both seeing or, and do those resonate with you? And Soren, if we could start with you this time. Right, Kieran. So um, I would say that right now, finding use cases is not the problem. Uh, we're still kind of in the early adoption stage of this technology. Um, the low-hanging fruit has not been picked yet. Uh, there's still there's quite a few uh, areas, and I think Dan already mentioned a few, like uh, HR and procurement and a bunch of others, where it is possible to get moving quickly and get results uh, equally quickly. So finding use cases currently is uh, not necessarily the main challenge, but uh, I would agree that there is a um, uh, there are there are potential issues with data privacy, security, and bias. And the data privacy one issue is the one that is uh, get, uh, gaining the, gathering the most attention. Pretty much everyone I talk to understands that there's a potential data privacy issue here, especially if uh, your approach involves uh, models that uh, someone else hosts for you or offers for you like OpenAI, for instance, uh, there's always the question of, okay, what does this model um, retain from the data I presented to it? Uh, is it used to, you know, to uh, train itself? Uh, is that a potential data leak for me as a company? Uh, those kinds of questions. So I would say that there are some mitigation techniques available, uh, like anonymization of the data and so on, uh, but they only go so far. So uh, at the basic level, some level of trust in your provider, in your AI or generative AI provider is necessary. 
So you need to understand very well what the uh, you know AI provider, uh, uh, the, the ones that you decide to use, can offer in terms of privacy, what data is collected and is not collected, and how the data is processed. In terms of things like uh, bias of the models, uh, this is a problem that is less well understood. Um, there is not a lot of uh, tooling out there to, to, to test these for biases. There is some literature, there are some research um, papers out there uh, that um, point out that these models uh, do have indeed quite a lot of biases uh, that have uh, basically adopted from the training data sets. Um, but the how, how well those biases or how much those biases impact your own uh, use case, uh, it's, it's a much trickier uh, question to answer. Uh, so that's why I'm, I would say that having a good uh, practice for adopting these and uh, having a sort of continuous in, um, improvement approach, something like DevOps for generative AI, if you want to call it, this is kind of essential at this point. And uh, the tooling for, for stuff like that is only now being, uh, being developed and being made available. So it's still early days, I would say. Early days, but it's great that we're actually having the conversation around risk and ethics and everything else, because it wasn't there 20 years ago. And yeah. that's where we were probably creating more problems ourselves. So we're not deliberately, no developer sets out to create a biased uh, data set or, or biased product. But now we're having these conversations and hoping the awareness helps. Uh, Dan, what about from your point of view? What, what are the risks that you're seeing? Uh, when it comes to generative AI and implementing it in technology or AI solution? I, I mean, the, the facts in front of us, as described by Sorin, uh, so are, are there. Now, uh, uh, the DRE team, what we are doing, we develop the technology to respond to these concerns and to, to these challenges in front of us. So we are building the tooling, the tool set, to uh, use in the company under enterprise governance, the generative AI. So we provide uh, the AI DevOps, we provide the auditing and logging, we provide support for the entire life cycle. We provide prompt engineering and architecture for different use cases. So we are understanding well these challenges and we build the tools to respond. Uh, and if just to take, uh, uh, for example, data privacy, I was so happy when Microsoft released the uh, hosting of OpenAI and added their legal binding statements that they are not using the data we share with them for training the models. They have the option to not log at all the, uh, the usage for a particular OpenAI service. So, they are responding exactly with the enterprise for the enterprise needs when it comes to uh, uh, data privacy and things like this. Regarding data bias and the data context and the knowledge, in my experience, I noticed that in majority of the projects in the enterprise, the organization looks to surface the data inside the organization, not the data open knowledge from the internet. So again, a tool like Druid, a conversation AI platform, preparing the enterprise context in the secured way and isolating the prompt and stopping the model to hallucinate, it's a key. So there are tools and solutions 
to absorb the generative AI aligned with each particular use case. I, I love that. This is going to seem like an odd conversation. Someone who adores risk and governance and privacy and everything else. But these are important points that organizations can't miss. <clears throat> Too often, AI technology, you know, great to design it, great to throw it out there. And then we forget about all these other items. It's a real sign for me, and, and Soren, that I was around in the year 2000 as well, if not before. It's a real boon to hear that there's a business case behind it. There's ethics behind it. There's risk management behind it. There's DevOps with security built in by default behind these things. Because you cannot forget these as a company, otherwise you will end up in trouble. And that's never a position that you actually want to be in. <clears throat> to both of you, though, one more time, because I'm enjoying the, the there's a similarity in the answer that you are both giving. And there's also subtle differences, which really excites me as well. I love hearing two different experts coming out with their views on this. Uh, what do you see as the as the short term and long term benefits of implementing generative AI in a company? Yeah, so thinking about the benefits uh, of generative AI in a company, uh, short term, there's going to be a lot of areas where you're boosting employee productivity uh, and just make it easier for people to do their current jobs. Um, it's just much easy, much quicker to find out how to do stuff. Uh, this is my own personal, the, the way I personally use generative AI uh, currently is just find answers to stuff. Right. I don't want to need to go and find the actual documentation or try to read whatever uh, article about something. I could just ask a agent that's already been exposed to that information, and I can just ask them, you know, I, I'm trying to do this. Um, what's the best way to do it? Right. Um, one of my colleagues were saying that essentially you just have like your very own like your very own Stack Overflow on your internal knowledge. So it's just something like you can ask an expert that's already re read the entire documentation of all your products ever uh, and can just give you the answer like you would be asking uh, uh, someone who has worked with that technology for 10 years, right? With references, with everything. So short term is basically um, a lot of the um, tedious tasks will, will become much uh, easier, much faster to solve. Uh, long term, I think we will begin to rethink about how we approach some tasks, some current tasks, right? Uh, and some things that were, were uh, some approaches that were probably unfeasible previously are now feasible or are um, available to more people. Uh, just like making an app, for instance, there is there was a lot of push in the past few years on uh, about um, uh, low code applications, right? No code slash low code applications where everybody could make an app. Um, just by clicking a few mouse buttons and, uh, you know, maybe configuring it. And that was, um, usually that would delve into some code at some point because the application would become a bit more complex and you would need to understand the platform to make it work better. But now you can just make an app by just describing what you want. And we already have started to see some early examples of this. You just tell it, uh, just tell this agent in natural language what you want and they will make it for you. And if they make, uh, they don't make it the way you want, you can just go back and tell them, hey, I actually want you to change this application in some ways, right? So some of these tasks um, are going to be approached differently and they're going to be available to a lot more people uh, that were uh, previously kind of uh, kept out of this loop just because they didn't have the requisite skills. Yeah. I don't think people realize... <laughs> You and I were talking, preparing for the podcast, and we were going way back, 1990s. 
And when you were in it, you didn't have this expert system in place. You had to phone a friend and hopefully you had a good book of friends to get you the answers. It must be amazing for people who are starting out in technology now just to have this by default. It's the same with the internet and been able to ask a question. Now you've got generative AI, a brain the size of the world, able to support you answering questions for everything that you might need. Dan, what do you see as the short and uh, medium to long-term benefits of this new technology? Yeah, in, in short term, I'd like right now, any enterprise can give to their employees this uh, personal butler. So they can give a, a Druid bot for each employee and that bot to be just a simple proxy to the world knowledge embedded in a private OpenAI subscription. So each employee in the organization, whatever task he needs to complete, whatever knowledge, open knowledge needs to access, can immediately ask a question or give a phone to the Druid and have the humankind knowledge on the phone. So immediately. And this, in my opinion, will amaze the employees and will grow the appreciation of the employees for their employer that they give them that tool. So this can be accomplished immediately. Then you can transform the customer experience. So any data that you have in the organization and processes can now be faced to the customer in the conversational way. So existing applications and data, you just transform them with a conversational experience. And again, this can happen immediately. I'm not saying short term, it's immediately. And then seeing the benefits, you change your strategy. You approach everything you do in a different way. And you will be amazed to see that things that you did in a special way, in a, in a way, now you can do it differently, much faster, much productive. And this is what I amaze by generative age, not just how well understands natural language, but it's able to produce content and it's able to execute tasks. I am asking about some insights around my data. It's not only that my question is understood, but I get a reasonable answer, an answer with intelligence, with computation, and I am presenting with insights that otherwise it's very difficult for me to discover. So it's part of solving the task. Oh, I really like that. It's And I love the definition of a personal butler, which you both mentioned. And this isn't a lot of money at all. This is the extraordinary bit for me. For <coughs> Make up a number, but it's not far yeah, off. It, you, you know, so until then, you need to be on a particular level in the organization chart or social level to have your personal assistant. Yeah, now everybody can have it. This, this is, I, I hate to use the word democratized technology. <laughs> but we literally have given for $20 a month a, generative, a, 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 a butler that's a brain the size of the globe and put it into every application and every process that we've got. I, I, I just, my one at the moment is I just, if I was, if I was running an organization, I'd make up a number, there was a thousand people and I give every, a thousand people access to this technology straight away. 
because before we talked about people process and technology as the, as the triumvirate of things that we need to impact. Now it's almost people process technology, business strategy, change that on the basis of generative AI and how you work and a change management program that allows you to incorporate this inside of the organization and then keep iterating those things to create a new and better business. Mm -hmm. We are in, we are in great times. We really, really <laughs> are.